I will be reading verses 1 through 17. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall, shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You may be seated. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Education is, seems to be a burning issue in our world, both in the political realm and, well, just in our culture in general. Uh, education. Um, people talk about uh, charter schools and talk about class size and spend a lot of money on new facilities and better facilities for people, for students. In the last couple of years, there's been a political ball that's been kicked back and forth about uh, what is taught, in, especially in the public schools. And we also, in our church family, we invest in education too. We think that's just pretty important, the education of the next generations. Education, learning, understanding about the world, about us, and all of that is important and right and good, but the most important thing would be to, to pray and to understand what and to rightly pray, teach me thy way, O God. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. And as we 
think of that and think about praying that, uh, the question might be coming down to you just now. Am I teachable? Am I the kind of person that can learn well God's ways? As, as the Lord teaches me, certainly he is the very best teacher of all, but what kind of a student am I? Am I teachable? Can I learn God's ways as he so graciously and clearly teaches me that? Uh, to some of us, academic learning is great fun, and, and it's challenging. It even comes easy for some of us. But the real issue is how do we, and that's all important and right and good, and there's a lot of people here today sitting here that are going to school again tomorrow. Academics, but especially teach me thy way, O Lord, and which I consider the title for the sermon today. Teach me thy way, O Lord. It's not only the title of the sermon, but it's a prayer that each of us, whether we're going to school tomorrow morning or whether we are a little bit too old for that, teach me thy way, O Lord. So, I told you the title. Now let's think just a little bit about the outline that I've chosen for the sermon here today. Let's think together about um, the book of Proverbs and what it says about learning. Solomon, the wise man, uh, certainly that's one of the things that he talks about quite a lot in his book. So, uh, maybe you want to kind of turn that way now toward the book of Proverbs. After that, after we have looked at that just a little bit, then we would like to notice a couple characters in Scripture that really seem to be kind of on the untouchable side. And then you know what's coming next. After that, of course, thirdly, we'd like to uh, take some time and uh, notice and appreciate about some Bible characters of which the Lord was able, who were easy learners and were able to learn what God had for them. Teach me thy way, O Lord. So, Proverbs. The book of Proverbs and just noticing about that of learning and understanding, being the kind of person who is quick to understand and to appreciate learning. I think that it could be said that teachableness, which is something that we strive for, don't we? we uh, yes, that teachableness could be uh, come in two parts, I think. And the book of Proverbs would talk about hearing counsel as I'm suggesting the first part, the first prong of the two prong parts of teachableness, book of Proverbs. That, the first part is that of hearing counsel, being able to hear it. And I noticed with interest this morning of the bulletin here, pretty nice woodpecker and everything, consistent with the season, but, but what about the wording there? 
Speak, Lord, speak, for thy servant heareth. And you probably know that that was the prophet Samuel that uttered those words back to God a long time ago. Speak, for thy servant heareth. I think that's very fitting as we think about God teaching us his way here today. We need to hear. Part of learning, part of understanding is certainly to hear, to be able to hear. Let's hear what terms the wise man, what Solomon uses, and follow me, if you will, and turn to Proverbs 1.5, and then we'll just be leafing to other, a few other verses in Proverbs, moving along fairly quickly, perhaps. Are you at Proverbs 1.5? We're thinking about hearing. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. So a wise man is able to hear. Going on to 19.20 in the book of Proverbs, 19.20, there it is again, that word. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Part of understanding and learning and being able uh, to be taught is that of being able to hear, hear. And then back to 420, another similar phrase is used there that I kind of like. Proverbs 420. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Incline thine ear. Incline thine ear. And I get the picture, I think, uh, as I think of that verse, I think, I think of the uh, Native American Indians that used to put their ear down to the ground and to be able to hear if there's uh, horses approaching. Uh, to, they were able to hear the, or notice the vibrations. That's the picture I get here in 420. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. The, the, those Indians were serious about being able to hear or to perceive before they could hear when they put their ear down to their ground, that, down to the ground. That's how we, we should be so eager to learn and understand, incline our ears to God's wisdom and God's teaching. And chapter 5, verse 1 Bow thine ear to my understanding. There again. And then there's the word in 7.24. Hearken unto me now therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. So we're talking about hearing, inclining our ear, bowing down our ear, and hearkening. Hearken. And we understand, of course, that most of us have been blessed with the facilities of, the, of, of our ears working well, and so we can hear. But what do these terms mean in Scripture? Wilmer Bechtel has written in Christian Ethics for Youth, and I quote from him, Has your mom ever said, 
What I am saying is going in one ear and right out the other. What's the trouble when you have a throughway running from one ear to the other? The trouble is your mind. You need some stop signs, some caution signs, and some yield signs. First, you must be willing to hear and realize the importance of hearing. Then you need to apply your mind to hearing and paying attention. That, it's that idea of paying attention. We already, we know, don't we, that if, if we can hear with our ears, um, sure, we're, we're able to hear. Uh, if our advisor doesn't mumble, and if we are not deaf, and if our ears are cleared of wax, of course we can hear what's going on. But here in the spiritual line, in the book of Proverbs, God is saying, hear not so much with your ears, but are you hearing with your heart? Going on, um, uh, Mr. Bechtel, when there are endless stories of those who wouldn't hear instruction, failing to hear and obey can often lead to serious trouble. You could probably add your own story to these. When Bobby was in ninth grade, he refused to listen to his mother's admonition. She had taught him through the years never to jump from a swing while swinging high. But Bobby wasn't the baby anymore. He'd show everyone at school how daring he was. He pumped the swing high and jumped. The youngsters looked on helplessly as Bobby screamed in pain. Oh, look at his wrist, someone shouted. Run, get the teacher. Bobby's once straight arm now had a curve like a pipe elbow that fits under a sink. At the hospital, x-rays confirmed both bones in the wrist were broken and had very nearly punctured through the skin. Now many years since the accident, Bobby often receives a sudden painful reminder when he tries to do some heavy work. He often says he wishes he would have listened to his mother, but wishes and regrets don't restore the full use of a badly injured arm. So, did he hear his mom with his ears? Sure, he did. He, he was, sure. Did but he needed to hear with his heart to really hear. So part of teachableness is to be able to hear what people are saying, what those who have accumulated a bit of wisdom are teaching, hearing. Uh, Mr. Bechtel goes on to say um, that we can hear... Do you really have hearing ears? Or as I say, do you really have a hearing heart? Consider these checkpoints. And five checkpoints here. You are hearing when you are not thinking of what you want to say as soon as the speaker is finished. You are hearing when you do not interrupt the speaker with words, a sigh, or wondering eyes. Number three, you are hearing when the words go in both ears and they prompt you to action. Number four, you are hearing when you try harder to understand than to be understood. Number five, you are hearing when you accept what is being said even though you don't agree. So, hearing. And we understand, of course, that in this two-pronged thought of hearing and being taught, being teachable, number one is hearing and number two, of course, is accepting and acting on what is being taught. It's the second half of being able to 
Learn of God. Teach, teach me thy way, O Lord. Let me tell you again about uh, Mr. Douglas MacArthur. He was a brilliant soldier in the first half, especially of the 20th century. You folks that go to school and enjoy history know about him already, but let me just talk for a few minutes about Douglas MacArthur. He, his dad was also a soldier in the U.S. Army, and at the Battle of Missionary Ridge during the Civil War, Douglas MacArthur's dad, who was just 18 years old at the time, did something daring in battle that helped win, his, win the battle for his side. And the thing about it is that he had done that against orders. In, yeah, he had gone and against orders, did something daring and courageous, and it worked. And the battle was won. And Arthur MacArthur, this 18-year-old, in later years, when after his son Douglas was born, would never fail to remind his son that it, sometimes you need to go against orders. The, the high point of his life as a soldier had been because he went against orders. He had acted on his own. Douglas MacArthur was that kind of a person too and was very brilliant in a lot of things in the soldier's life. In World War I, he fought courageously, ended the war as a general. When the years between the world wars, uh, he was active and doing a lot of good stuff. During World War II, then, of course, uh, he was in the Philippines and needed to leave quickly uh, when the, because of the Japanese offensive there in that part of the world. And, and you know what he said as he left and, and he got to safety in Australia, he said, I will return. A couple of years later, sure enough, he did return to the Philippines. And if you're like me, you might be thinking of that famous picture that you see in encyclopedias and all over about him striding through the surf with his chest up and his head, his chest out and his head up. Check it out this afternoon, maybe, if you're not familiar with that picture. Later on in the war, yeah, during the war, he uh, had some brilliant strategy moves of island hopping and that kind of thing. And after the war, he proved also that he is not only a soldier, but he's kind of a diplomat because he was sent um, to Japan and helped Japan get organized and switch to democracy after the war. Did a wonderful job in all of that. And then the... North Koreans invaded South Korea around 1950, and he was sent there, and again, did a great job and everything, but something, a problem that had hounded him all his life came in, into the fore there, especially in Korea, about 1950 during the Korean War. He wanted to do things his own way, in spite of what his superiors might say, and in the, I think, the World Book Encyclopedia, it would talk about how he gave criticisms and he 
the word defying is there and unauthorized. That was the kind of thing he did. Harry Truman, his commander-in-chief, wanted him to do things this way, but he himself knew better and he wanted to do it this way. So finally, Mr. Truman had no choice but to recall him. He came back home. The last 10 years of his life, for 15 years or so, wasn't much to be done. And his pride and his lack of teachableness, his willingness to just be his own man, cost that brilliant civil servant dearly. He was not willing to accept or act on counsel, and that was given. That was a problem all his lifetime, and as he got old, it got the best of him. And I've told that story before here, something like that, and interestingly that two older men came to me after that, after I would have told that story and said, yeah, but, you know, he was right and Truman was wrong. Could be, maybe so. But the point is that he was not open to counsel. He was not teachable. He was not willing to let other people speak into his life and for authorities uh, to. The point is immaterial who was right back there in 1950, whether it was his commander in chief or whether it was him. What is material is that he was not willing to take counsel. He was not willing to learn. He was not teachable. Let's move on now to think about some other men, these folks in Scripture, that found it so hard to learn and to be taught God's ways. The first person that we'd like to look at, and you can turn to 2 Chronicles 23. In the next little while, we'll be spending quite a lot of time in 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles 23, you will notice when you get there that a familiar character is in view, Joash by name, that boy king, who was the only one of his family that escaped death by uh, Athaliah, who I think maybe was her, his grandma. Should have checked that out. Maybe you want to correct me on that later on. But yes, all his siblings and family was destroyed. And he, because of the nurse... Um, his life was spared. He was hidden in a bedchamber, I think the Bible says there in 2 Chronicles 23. He was well taught. He became king at age seven or eight. Seven, I think. When he, and he, his mentor was Jehoiada. And he was very... King Joash was very well taught. And he, by his mentor, Jehoiada... And it seemed like as long as Jehoiada was giving him advice and helping him along, that things went very well. And in Second Chronicles 23, we noticed that he had, there were some political reforms, some good things that King Joash championed. 
both political reform and religious, but later on it becomes clear that it wasn't spiritual renewal, it was just political and religious. He was very well taught um, by his teacher, but later in life it became obvious that he wasn't tremendously teachable. And one of the things that I'd like to just point out at this point is that when we think about teachableness and learning and understanding, we usually think about young people and students, school age, right, and youth. Well, that might be all right in its place, but the sad story of Joash shows us that it's just as important for older people, people my age and maybe even older, to also be teachable all their lifetime through. Joash was one that seemed like he was on the right track. He took good advice from Jehoiada, but then when later on in life things took a downturn simply because he was not willing to take advice and to be taught of God. I don't think that he really ever prayed for real in those later years, teach me thy way, O Lord. That, his, that Jehoiada was an excellent teacher is clear because there's all kinds of details given of how, he, how Mr. Jehoiada rearranged things and got everything ready for him so that the kingdom was handed to him. All kinds of details, 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 clear instruction, Joash should have been able to learn for the long term. But 24.16, I think 24.16 says, shows, that after Joash died, um, now I'm getting a little confused here, I think that Joash wasn't even buried. His body was not buried in the king's, sepulch, uh, the king's graveyard or something like that. And the point that especially that I'm wanting to make is in 2 Chronicles 24, 19. Uh, verse 17 talks about after the death of Jehoiada. Verse 18 shows how that he actually, that King Joash reverted to idolatry and serving idols and the result or the reason why he did something like that is given at the very end of verse 19. Do you see it? In my Bible I have it underlined but they, that means Joash and his people, but they would not give ear. They would not give ear. I think that phrase is a pretty important one that we should notice and maybe even learn from. They would not give ear. Two principles I think that I'd just like to point out about the story of Joash is, number one, when one is not teachable, eventually it'll show. And again, it, in his life, it didn't show until he was older, late in life. I think for uh, the, the oldest half of us here, today, that should be something that we take to heart. 
Number two, a good beginning isn't enough. We, I thank God. We thank God together, don't we, that God's grace, as we allow him to teach us his way, will be plenty to take us all the way in faithfulness and in learning and understanding all the way to God's heaven. So, what a tragedy. What a waste. All because he wouldn't hearken. He wouldn't hear. He wouldn't give ear. Second Chronicles 23, no, 24, 19. They would not give ear. They were taught. They were trained, but they turned out he was taught. He was trained, but it turned out that he was not teachable. Then there was another man. This is in 2 Chronicles 25. Another king. And the story is a little bit kind of something similar. 25.3 shows that that he was obedient. Verse 2, he was right in the sight of the Lord and yet not perfectly. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that sad? Isn't that kind of a, couldn't that be just pasted on to the culture of even Christendom in the 21st century? There's so much right about God's people and the church, the larger church. So much right, and yet it looks obvious that it's not with a perfect heart. Well, that was the case with Amaziah. In verses 6 through 10, again, he kind of obeyed, but it seems, it becomes clear that it was just not, uh, not, from, not from his whole heart. It was outer show obedience. Obedience because it was advantageous, but not obedience because he really wanted to serve God with all his heart. And what was the result of that kind of a mentality when it seemed like he was being teachable and yet he wasn't being teachable wholly and completely? Well, in verse, in chapter 26, 25, verses 14 to 16, and so on. He also fell into idolatry. And notice verse 16 of Second Chronicles 25. It's, see that long verse there, which we're not going to take time to read, but the, one of the, the last part of the verse, and hast not hearkened unto my counsel. In my Bible, I have that phrase, hast not hearkened, underlined. In verse 20, in my Bible I have that first phrase underlined, Second Chronicles 25, 20, but Amaziah would not hear. It seems obvious, oh, yes, idol worship and pride. When these kind of things, when something else besides God is the picture in my life, when something else besides God is the important thing in my experience in life, not the kind of idols they had. We just have different kind of idols in 
21st century America, don't we? When there's idolatry and when there's pride, that's a good... I, when that's in my heart, then I will be very, very, very unteachable. And because there wasn't humility, because he wasn't teachable, then there came humiliation. And the, the kingdom was wrested from him, um, the end of chapter 25 there. I think I said, just said something a little bit important. I wonder if you noticed it. Just in case you didn't, let me say it again. When one isn't humble, then humiliation is bound to happen. There is a difference between humility and humiliation, isn't there? When I am not humble, then I can just expect to have humiliation experienced in my life. Two principles here in the life of Amaziah, which we've just covered real fast here. Two principles that I'd want to point out. When one isn't teachable, it shows. That was the case with Joash. That was the case with his son, Amaziah. Had you caught that, that Amaziah was Joash's son? Number two, a good beginning isn't enough. So Joash wasn't very teachable, and neither was Amaziah. I remember Mena Coons saying in the early 1980s that those, consistent, those inconsistencies which I practice in moderation, I can just expect that my children will practice in excess. And I am so grateful for where my children are ahead of me in learning and understanding and in spirituality. We thank God for such. All right, so we've looked now about at Joash. We've looked into the book of Proverbs and noticed some concepts there. Now we saw some examples of unteachable people. Let's turn now and think about teachable Bible examples. And that brings us to Psalm 51, which... Nate read a while back where David had sinned against the Lord. David had sinned so grievously. David had failed so terribly. And John Phillips says, with what skill Nathan the prophet laid his approaches to David's soul. David's sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah were already a year old. David had not publicly acknowledged his sin. He simply sat on his throne in Jerusalem, brazening out the whole thing. Then Nathan had come with his story about a poor man's lamb, stolen by a rich man to provide a feast for a passing guest. David had reacted instantly to that tale of injustice. He had sworn to take the miscreant's life and made him and make him repay the stolen lamb fourfold. Thou art the man, Nathan had said when David was done. The sword was at David's throat before David even knew Nathan had a sword. Down off his throne came the king. The fountains of the deep in his soul were broken. The pent-up passions of remorse, shame, 
guilt and anxiety were released in a flood of tears. With his heart still pounding in his breast, David wrote Psalm 51, in many ways the greatest of the seven penitential psalms. His need was great. He had sinned with a high hand against God who had lavished countless blessings upon him. His sin was inexcusable. He took all the blame. It's me and mine all the way through. Have mercy upon me. Wash me. Cleanse me. He talked about mine iniquity, my sin, my transgressions. He did not blame hereditary society, or his fallen nature. He assumed full responsibility. Let me read that last sentence or two once again. He did not blame heredity, society, or his fallen nature. He assumed full responsibility. Do you see how that, his words and his attitude, David's heart here, was one of teachableness. When God came to him through the prophet Nathan, David was nothing but repentant and humble and willing to take all the blame. Thank God for David's example. He had sinned with a high hand in terrible ways. But he was willing and able to learn from that as God taught him his way. Sin defiles. Psalm 51 talks about that. In verse 7, sin deafens people. In verse 8, it damages, it dooms. All of those things plus more. Sin does that. But David, through all of that, was able to learn and understand and grow in his, we say, in his Christian life and experience. Thank God for David's example here, able to learn even after he had horribly sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Back to 2 Chronicles, this time uh, chapter 33, and you just might want to turn there and we just notice a few things in 2 Chronicles 33. This is now not David. This is but a yeah, direct line from David, and this is Amaziah's great, great, great grandson, if I'm correct. The man's name is Manasseh. And there's something about Manasseh that I just really appreciate. He's, I think it's right to say, one of my favorite Bible characters. He's spoken about in 2 Kings a little bit, and here in 2 Chronicles a little bit. And his life story is one of horror and horribleness, if that's the correct word to use. You're at, we're at Second Chronicles 33. Look at verse 3. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down, and he reared up altars for Balaam, and made groves, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served them. Also, he built altars in the house of the Lord. And Verse 5. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven, Verse 6, and he caused his children to pass through the fire 
Also, he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and, and dealt with a familiar spirit and with wizards. Verse 7, and he set a carved image, the idol which he had made. Terrible list, horrible list. It just seems like anything that Manasseh could imagine against the God of heaven he went at it in the most wicked, ungodly ways, terrible, and seemed to build on the excesses, the wicked excesses, and got worse and worse and worse. So that verse 9, so Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And if your stomach is like mine about now, or your heart is just, is just a bunch of turmoil and filth. Yeah. We, Manasseh, his horribleness. And verse 10, I think. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people. The Lord is faithful in that, but they would not hearken it goes on the story does verse 12 and when he was in affliction he besought the Lord greatly his God and, hum and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him and goes on there isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing that God would work, be able to work such a work in the heart of such an evil, terrible villain of a man? Thank God that the grace was there and thank God that Manasseh was willing to humble himself greatly and pray. The Bible talks about that just a little bit more. Verse 18. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God. Verse 19. His prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all his sin and his trespass and the places wherein he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Before he was humbled. The Bible talks about his Humility, first and last, and three times in between, his, it speaks of his prayer. Like bookends. Humility and prayer in the middle is a kind of a picture that I kind of like to see there. And the thing about it is that his actions matched his new attitude. Notice that in verse 15, and he took away the strange gods and cast them out of the city. He got rid of the bad, but then he also worked on the good. Verse 16, and he repaired the altar of the Lord and sacrificed thereon, and so on. This man who for almost all his lifetime was not willing to learn, not willing to be taught by anybody except Satan. 
close to the end of his life, was able to turn. If Manasseh could turn, if Manasseh could engage in humility and prayer, certainly we can too. And maybe God is calling us to just to do that today, once again. Maybe in all of this, the Lord has been speaking to you and showing an, a, something in your life where you need to repent and pray. Maybe so. If, if so, be a Manasseh, be a David, be someone who is able to be taught of the Lord and pray, teach me thy way, O Lord. A couple hundred years before Manasseh's day, God had come to Solomon, Manasseh's forebear, and had said this in 2 Corinthians 7.14, This is what God told Solomon years before. And notice that, yes, 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If what? If my people will humble themselves, number one, and pray, number two, and then turn also, also turn from their wicked ways. And Manasseh shows us a wonderful, a perfect way of doing that. That didn't say, it doesn't say that there wasn't some consequences for Manasseh and for his people. But 2 Chronicles 7.14 proved true in his case. And I just leave that at the, uh, here at the end of this sermon once again. Listen just once again to what God says. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Shall we kneel for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are faithful, that you are a God who loves us and cares about us so much so that you are, teach us from your word and through your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we could be hearers and doers of what you teach, what you want us to learn and understand even better in life. Some of us have been saved and have been Christians for a long time. Some of us, not very long time. But whether long or short, you have more to teach us. And I pray, Lord, that we as a church, all of us together, can humbly pray, teach me thy way, O Lord, that we could be people who are easy to be entreated, easy to, to learn and understand your ways, and love you more and more in the process. I thank you for the examples in your word. We noticed just a few here today, but your word is full of examples of people who 
we're not willing to listen. And then, uh, but on the other hand, lots of people who were faithful in hearing your word and acting upon it in a faithful, godly way, may that be our experience here today, here in the 21st century, and until you come, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.